This is Larry H. Russell, host of Celtics Beat and author of Follow the Boston Celtics. Thank you yet again for downloading the number one podcast on the web, which covers the NBA's winningest franchise, Celtics Beat. CLNS Radio truly values your patrons. Because of your loyalty to making Celtics Beat the most downloaded weekly Celtics podcast online, we would love to offer a free copy of my critically acclaimed book available at clnsradio.com slash book. That's clnsradio.com slash book. Happy reading and enjoy today's broadcast. Today is Sunday, November 20th, 2016. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, and I am Larry H. Russell here running solo, but just for a couple minutes, we are going to our featured guest pretty much right away here on this broadcast. He's here right now at this very early hour, about as busy of a man in the digital media covering the NBA, Danny LaRue. I will let him give you the rundown on all of the work that he provides. Uh, We've got him here, right here, right now, with me here, right here, right now. Coming up on episode number 184 of Celtics Beat, which this week is being presented by Audible, audible.com, an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. And to get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial, go to audible.com slash try now. Blue Apron, go to blueapron.com slash Celtics Beat for three free meals with free shipping on your first order. And of course, Movement Watches. Thanks to Movement for our latest contest giveaway. It is just underway. Use that Celtics Beat promo code mbmtwatches.com slash Celtics Beat. Email me the receipt and you will be entered into a contest to win two tickets to see the Celts take on the Memphis Grizzlies on the 27th of December in Boston. It's a win-win-win here. You get an incredible, sleek, and sexy watch at a great price. Remember, starting at $95 with free shipping and free returns if you don't like the watch. And then you save 15% on top of that with a Celtics Beat code. That gives you free entry into the contest to win Celts tickets two days after Christmas and support this show. So again, mvmtwatches.com slash Celtics Email me the receipt lhrussell at clnsradio.com. Get a great watch and free entry into a contest for tickets. And of course, last call on our piston tickets. We will announce the winner on next week's show. Enter by simply subscribing, rating, and reviewing Celtics Speed on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, and review Celtics Speed on iTunes. That helps us get more great guests like Mr. Danny LaRue, host of Real GM Radio here on the network. That and a whole lot more with Danny, as I've already alluded to. He is one of the all-everythings of the basketball digital media, and there's just no better time to get him here, too, with him getting a great look at the Celtics, especially on Friday when they were on national TV against the Warriors, which is the team that Danny himself extensively covers. So, without further ado, Danny LaRue. Thanks so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure to not only do something in the CLNS family, but cover, talk about the Celtics and everything else, because I, I really do enjoy the city of Boston, too. Danny, I, I introduced you as, as host of Real GM Radio because you know, I'll leave it for that when we sign you out, but when we go extensively into all your endeavors and what you provide the digital audience. But uh, before we get into the Celts and, and really that game on Friday night, not sure if you had the time to catch up on last night's game against Detroit, before, but before you bring your fastball, Danny, I do say it's fair game to, to let you or let the audience know of your latest endeavor hosting Twitter's coverage of the nationally televised games on the social media platform, their NBA show. So first things first. Fill us all in on that. So the Twitter NBA show is something that uh, Nate Duncan and I just launched. So we are podcast partners for a long time with the Dunked On Basketball podcast. And what we're going to do is a, a new venture. And so using Twitter and Periscope, we are going to do halftime shows be- between – we pick one day of national games a week. We do halftime shows and then a post-game show after both, talking about both both, both games and – whatever else is going on in the league. So that's actually more like a traditional podcast. And one of the things that's so fun about it is we're also taking a lot of questions so people can tweet using the hashtag Twitter NBA show or using Periscope. We're going to get better at answering Periscope questions. And so it is very interactive and it's something, it's going to be something different and fun. And we've really enjoyed it so far. So suffice to say, you're going to be doing a lot of Warriors games with the amount of times the Warriors are on nationally television. It's almost like they're the, the Atlanta Braves. Uh, from back in the 90s when I was growing up, always watching the Braves uh, on TBS and then, of course, ESPN whenever they weren't on TBS. But let's talk about the game Friday night. Um, and that's a good way for me to talk about the game on Friday night. Just um, dot, 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 because uh, I don't – I'm stumped. The Warriors' defense if it came into the game ranked 23rd and then just suffocated Boston in that third quarter. 
and I, <laughs> Danny, you got to take it from me. You've got to take this one out of my hands right now. This is a, a very different Warriors team in certain fundamental capacities than the last couple of years. And one of the big ones is that their defensive intensity comes and goes. And also they're playing, you know, Zaza Pachulia, David West or not, Andrew Bogut and Festus Azili. So they have these really bad defensive stretches, but they've had a couple. And the Boston game was the most notable so far where they just were that dominating, suffocating presence that they've been before. And so people who look at obviously it's it's a good it's a good shorthand to look at like team rankings overall for the season but the warriors minute by minute game by game are not reflective of that ceiling because they don't really care about the regular season they're just trying to get everything ready for the playoffs i've always too thought because we we know that about the warriors and i was talking to your good friend jim barnett on the pregame show before the game but just when you look at third quarter analysis a lot of times in the regular season is a really good telltale sign of where things are especially teams on the road they sort of come in now this is a generalization a lot of times but teams on the road they come in kind of cruise around for for first few quarters they get their feet their legs warm a little bit and then it's off in the race i remember when tommy heinson actually he used to tell stories on telecasts during the heyday of the garnett teams and when he was coaching the you know the Havlicek, Jojo White teams, Paul Silas, Dave Cowens in the seventies, and he was coaching, he loved it when he, you know he was facing an inferior opponent, and they still cruised to a three to seven point lead at halftime. That way you're still up, but allows you to kind of chew the team out a bit and then come out with a with a with a boatload of energy. And uh, I'm looking at it from the Celtics aspect, of course, on this show, and I just don't know what they could have done. I don't. I mean, even Stevens referred to the D as quote pretty good. He actually said the defense was pretty was pretty good. But Golden State, the ball just moves too quickly. Uh, saw it. It's. I think it was Bill Sy who pointed out. Might have been on Saturday that the Warriors shoot like fifty one percent with a defender right on them. I mean, even I'm stymied. I mean, I did make the point a few weeks ago here, especially after the Washington game for the Celtics, that they have a tendency to panic if the opposition is just imposing their will. And I'm. Isaiah Thomas used that word after Friday's game. Of course, it's usually him that does the panicking. He starts driving to the, ba- driving to the basket just wildly. Uh, but it's just sort of human nature. Is, the, is that a even fair question to ask of what the Celtics could have done considering their personnel coming out of the gate in the third quarter of what the Warriors and their intensity level was? They could have everyone healthy and hit a higher proportion of their contested shots, but really that's about it. I mean, the the best teams, the, the term that I'm using a lot this year, and you have to kind of think of avenues and lenses to talk about teams when you cover a great one, and I've covered a lot of bad teams. I started covering the Warriors in 09, but it's the idea of undeniability. And so when a team is at a certain level, is, is it possible to stop them? And the best teams, whether that be those Garnett, Allen, Pierce, Celtics, the peak Miami Heat teams, or this Warriors team, they're undeniable. And so you just kind of have to, the idea is you have to weather the storm, pick your spots outside of that, because the difference with this Warriors team is that it's always a stretch. It's never the whole game, at least so far. So yeah, you're going to have, I mean, it's not usually going to be a 20 point swing, or it was 24 to three actually for that first 630. It's not usually going to be that long, but you kind of have to weather that storm and try to pick it, pick it off at the rest. And the Celtics did a nice job on Friday night getting back in the fourth quarter, even though my personal opinion is that the game was already settled. They did do a nice job of fighting back. They've always done that throughout, too, with Brad Stevens. It was very odd earlier in the year, too, and I want to shift a little bit more towards the Celtics, that earlier in the year they had two wire-to-wire blowouts against uh, Washington and Denver. And, of course, really in those games, it was their defense that was really head-scratching because over the last two and a half years under Brad Stevens, that's what they've been known for. And Taylor Snow uh, put a piece on the Celtics' website, important tidbit in its own right too by the way on the Celtics website uh but in summary he kind of basically pointed out that Boston's improving deep defensive efficiency after some pretty poor showings against Washington against Denver and there was a game against Cleveland on TNT a while back that they sort of got lit up and of course it was Cleveland but I mean that of course I thought that did not come with a disclaimer that it was also th- this competition when the Celtics were starting to improve their their D was Knicks without Carmelo Anthony in the second half after putting up 51 in the first half with him. Pacers without Paul George, who came into the game right 24th, as if I recall. Then Pelicans, Dallas, two of the worst offensive teams in the league. I think there's something like 25th and 26th, I think, respectively. So good chance for Boston to improve uh, team defensive efficiency ratings. But you get the Warriors. I would say that's a barometer, more than a barometer in its own right. It's, a, it's almost a complete ex- extreme the other side. So you go from the dregs to a team that has as much individual offensive firepower ever – 
They move the basketball as, as well as anyone. I mean, men, them and maybe, say, the Spurs from a few years ago uh, that were phenomenal moving the basketball that I've seen watching the NBA over these last 25 years. So, Danny, I mean, I guess, which is, which see, what did you really see from Boston's defense just looking at it just solely on the Celtics? And I, I guess you can sort of feel free to put it into context with what you've seen because I know you watch every Dubs game. I don't. Can, I'm not too concerned with Boston's defense for the basic fact that they have a track record and they're not they don't have some of their important personnel. So in Friday's game, one of the fundamental problems that they had was guys like Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson do a really good job when you have a shorter defender on them because they're tall and they they go straight up and they they don't they don't need much you know to really get a shot off on a short, smaller defender. Jay Crowder wasn't on the floor, so he can do a much better job there. Marcus Smart, I, I love the guy. He's a, a dogged defender, yeah, but him, he just him doesn't. Smart, a lot. Excuse me, Bradley and Smart. There was a lot. Yeah. A lot of that. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you you have that you have that kind of fundamental limitation. Then the other part of that is well, Al Horford's kind of a complicated guy defensively because he does certain things really well. He's also a strangely bad defensive rebounder, but he's a whole heck of a lot better than Tyler Zeller. And so when you think about the idea of replacement in some ways is more important than a guy's skill level itself so you're replacing zeller minutes with horford minutes and everything that comes with that so i'm not concerned about boston's defense really at all it's it's not something that i i I spend all that doing and if their offense stays as good as it has largely been this season i think that they're on track for a very good year if let's say let's say we're sitting here and they've been healthy for a month and in that month they weren't defending well then i'll start to worry but until that point I'm going to go with a couple of years under Brad Stevens, a couple of years with a lot of these guys that they've done a really good job. I'm going to go with that over the first month, whether we're talking that they face good teams, bad teams, or a mix. What are your concerns with them, though? Isaiah is a problem defensively. I mean, that's just he, – he's a wonderful player. He's a, If he plays anything like this for the rest of the for the rest of this month and next month, he's going to be a deserving all-star. But – he is a player that can be exploited. He's not great in pick and roll coverages. He's he's small. That's a concern. They also like the, Boston has a lot of talented guys, and they they have a lot of kind of specialists. And I always get a little bit concerned with team defense when a team has like a group of specialists and a group of guys who are shaky, because that's kind of you can exploit that when you get to brass tacks in the playoffs. But the as long as the shaky guys buy in and try, you should be good enough. You do think there are not though fundamental flaws in the team. I've been sort of harping the last two weeks now. While they've had, you know, they haven't had Crowder and and Horford for almost much of much of that time, when they actually when, when they've played uh, even even in the preseason and in those early games, I think they got just ripped. I don't know if you watched the game against Chicago, second game of the year that was on TNT. Horford played, Crowder played. They got blasted on the on the glass, and there was also another thing as well. I think and. I don't think he really had a chance to see it on Friday going into that game because of just what how the third quarter ended up being. But I was I was worried about that game because I thought there was going to be such a discrepancy in the team's second units. Boston's is just heinous. Not to go on forever, but I, I thought that would have a much bigger effect. It didn't because of that third quarter. But looking at the Celtics more so as a collective, do you think that there are not any really fundamentals there that are going to be really that, that holds the team back? coming once some of these players start returning it always gets hard when to talk about and focus on a second unit when that second unit is incomplete so al horford moving into the starting lineup moves one of their bigs however they're going to do it with kelly and with with amir like one of those guys back that's a huge help moving jay crowder into the starting lineup changes marcus smart's role around in a couple different ways and so I don't worry as much. I think their second unit at full strength is pretty good. It's not perfect. They have some weaknesses in terms of shot creation. I think they will miss Evan Turner a little bit, though. I've liked what Terry Rozier has shown overall. And the the fundamentals, you know, Isaiah concerns me. And we'll have to see how their defensive rebounding is because that was it was, it was this weird I'm thing with really the Hawks. I'm really trying to egg you on there, Danny, about the defensive rebounding. This is when you're yeah. supposed to finish your point. So, so with defensive rebounding, there's this weird thing with the Hawks last year. So the Hawks were actually the best defensive team after the All-Star break last year. They were better than the Spurs by a little bit. They were also horrible defensive rebounding, and that was something that, that you got to see in that playoff series, the Hawks-Celtics playoff series. And, you know, if you're able to survive that, then it's something, but most teams aren't. So it is it is a concern, but... 
I, I don't at this point, you know, I kind of need a, a bigger sample. And you talked about that Bulls game, the second game of the year. Something that I've been tracking for the athletic is the kind of the importance of the schedule. And so that game, as I recall, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, was a back to back for the Celtics. It was the second end of it. Correct. And teams almost always struggle in those games. So I'm not going to read too much into that. The Bulls, as much as I have been hardened by their success this year, considering I was critical and thought they weren't going to be that good. They have had a few of these what I call horseshoe games where it's just like you get a lot of luck, like a guy goes out, a team's on a back-to-back, and you're not. So those kind of games I don't really read much into, which is why it's hard. You know, Because like, the season has felt long already. You know, We're a little less than a month in. We've had a lot of games. You know, Teams have played somewhere between 10 and 12 games or so at this point. It's hard to say we don't know everything yet. But at least in terms of the Celtics and to a lesser degree, the Warriors, there's a lot that we still don't know. I've been just trying to egg you on with the defensive rebounding thing, especially, too, when I was listening to Locked On Warriors on Friday night as soon as Jared brought up Andrew Bogut. Uh, of course, that was what everybody in Boston was talking about when Bogut had his game um, against the Celtics on Wednesday. Didn't really do it. Didn't show anything in the box score yet. The Celtics couldn't all get in the paint. So I was, I was begging you for you to say, you know what they need? They need Andrew Bogan. They could use him. I, I'm certainly not going to say any, anything otherwise. And the Mavericks are in this strange spot where they have basically they have a series of older guys that probably aren't going to be a part of their future. And so and if, if they're going to be out of the picture, and it's way too early to say that for sure, though it looks awfully likely considering – Injuries to Darren Williams, injuries to J.J. Barea, and then their older guys not playing that much. And the West is – and, and you can't, you just can't fault at all in the Western Conference. Once once right. that happens, you're done. So, so you're willing to so bet a substantial it, sum, they will be sellers. Right. So so there are basically two paths if that's where they end up. And I feel that is, but we can't say it yet, is you can either trade those guys for small assets, so a guy like Andrew Bogut, or you can buy them out and let them choose where they're going to go. And – that is like it's a very personal decision it's funny tim mcmahon wrote that great piece about the personal relationship between chandler parsons and mark cuban and it got me thinking about how mark cuban's going to make these kinds of decisions and so if what boston should do if they're interested in a guy like bogut is they should offer a small asset and the benefit for the celtics is that a they actually have filler salary they're one of the only teams that does where they can just they can throw that back they can't just like eat Bogut's salary into their space like some teams can but they can do that he might want to play there because boston's actually good and they have these small assets in terms of second round picks and everything like that something where dallas would maybe be like oh that's enough for us and the celtics it would be no sweat off their back because of all the better assets they have so if that's the direction Dallas goes, Boston should absolutely strike. It's a real shame, actually, too, because the, because the the assets that the Celtics do have, there's a lot less of those end of the first round picks that they had. I think when they had when they, the Clippers pick from Doc Rivers, they end up using an RJ Hunter, never worked out. They had something like I don't even want to know eight picks in the second round. Last, I, mean, I think it was five picks in the second round last year. I'm calling it eight just to be fun. They actually have a little bit less of those going forward, but I wa- I did watch the game against Dallas, and he had such a tremendous impact on that game those first three quarters. Real quick on him, I just want to give you kind of the floor on Bogut, especially for some listeners who are are listening who have only seen him really twice over the last four or five years, especially once he got traded out of Milwaukee, and it might have even been less because not many people are staying up to watch those Warriors games even when they play the Celtics. Real quick, do you want to sort of talk about his impact maybe for casual fans here in Boston? Sure. Bogut is best at cleaning up messes. So basically if a guy on the perimeter lets his – man go by or somebody misses a switch and somebody penetrates he is great at stopping that so he's actually better as a rim protector than as a post defender but that's a good thing because the league is moving away from post offense so post defense is less important he struggles defending in space so what i would do against him is basically run one five pick and rolls he's going to drop down to protect the lane you're going to get shots that way and he tries on the defensive end. And one weird thing that, that my podcast partner, Nate Duncan, has noticed, and I'm not totally sure I haven't looked at his splits with the Mavs, is he's generally a lot better at home than on the road. But that's not the worst thing in the world as long as you use it to your advantage. So what would be great for the Celtics if they were interested in somebody like Bogut is that they wouldn't be relying on him, but they could use him when he was on. And that's really the best role for him at this point in his career. 
Hold on there, Danny. Got a few messages from the audience. Was going to put it on this week's mailbag, but I want to save it for you after you brought Isaiah's name up. Really, it's a good chance to sort of allow to transition the conversation. But hang on, we need to get in a word from our sponsors. Don't go anywhere. Today's featured interview with Danny LaRue is presented by Blue Apron. Support this podcast by heading on over to blueapron.com slash CelticsBeat to get three free meals with free shipping. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. It's so important to know where your food comes from. Therefore, Blue Apron set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. Whether it's Japanese ramen noodles, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, or heirloom tomatoes, Blue Apron is bringing you delicious and fun-to-cook meals for you and with your family and friends and at a very affordable price. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes with pre-portioned ingredients to make those delicious home-cooked meals. Give Blue Apron a shot. You will not regret it. Check out this week's menu and, again, get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash CelticsBeat. It's already an incredible deal as is with meals under $10 and your first three meals free with free shipping. And best of all, you'd help continue to fund the CelticsBeat operation. So eat up. Head on over to blueapron.com slash CelticsBeat. That's blueapron.com slash CelticsBeat. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. What's going on, Pass Nation? This is Marvin on of CLNS Radio, and I'm here to tell you right now to check out the CLNS Radio New England Patriots postgame show, hosted by myself and my co-host, Mr. Mike Nice, and live on CLNSRadio.com immediately after every single Pats game. Call in at 929-477-2386, toll-free, to get your voice heard and contribute to the host breakdown and analysis of the latest Patriots contest. We also got the stars and sorries of the day, Twitter polls for the play of the game, and everything else that is going on with the four-time Super Bowl champions. Subscribe to the CLNS Radio New England Patriots postgame show on iTunes and Stitcher and the best way. Download the free CLNS Radio mobile app for on-demand listening anytime, any place, anywhere. Welcome back into Celtics Beat. Larry A. Trussell here with Danny LaRue. And Danny, I literally got two identical messages here. Uh, one very short. One is, um, is Isaiah going to make the All-Star team? And the the other is asking for Isaiah's ranking. Uh, that's uh, okay. Uh, very simple, but... But actually, too, you know, earlier this week, God forbid, I read a piece on Boston.com presenting forth an argument about Isaiah Thomas being an MVP candidate. So I actually, you know, I'll ask on behalf of these two listeners here, since since you watch the amount of NBA basketball that you do, you said what you said about Isaiah's defense earlier, but but he and his backcourt companion, Avery Bradley, and you, you've acknowledged this, you know, are pretty much the primary reasons as to why this team is still treading water here. So you know, where does Isaiah rank amongst guards in the league? I'm not going to put an exact number on it, but I want to make a a broad point, which is that he's great offensively and bad defensively, and guard offense is substantially more important than guard defense. So, yeah, it's true. He he has these flaws defensively that can be exploited, but if you are the engine behind a successful offense, that's far more important. And so I'm not—I'd probably put him somewhere in the— in the maybe like 8 to 10 range off the top of my head, maybe a little lower than that. I think about it more in terms of point guards than ones and twos together because they're often different in role. But what Isaiah deserves an immense amount of credit for is that so far this season, the expectation going in was that, oh, they're going to have Al Horford, they're going to have you know a good kind of constellation of talent. Kelly Olynyk missed a bunch of time, and they haven't, and... Thomas was able to propel them to a successful offensive run. The defense has been its own thing. That's not his fault. And, you know, that's what makes a guy an all-star. You know, that's what makes a guy an all-star. That's what puts him in all-NBA consideration, though there are a lot of great guards in the NBA right now, as you know. And so he deserves credit for what he does well. And the whole point of why I am somebody who loves a good defensive big is because that's what they're supposed to do, and an offensive guy, a guard, is supposed to run the offense. Funny that you mentioned, too, about the All-NBA and the court member last year. One of the reasons, too, that that question sort of jumped out at me was I remember last year the Celtics PR department pushing almost everyone in the media hard to really put out there, try to get Isaiah as an All-NBA player, but he is sort of, I don't want to say blocked, but... There's automatically, it's, I think the first two teams are pretty much set, set lock and stone. But yep. what I actually 
you know, it got me thinking too about Isaiah and the, the start that he's had, especially when you go back to the Dallas game, is the big lament last year, and I want to talk about this a little coming up too after you, you get off the air with us, is last year it's, it's really different this year with the Celtics. They're off to similar starts record-wise around this time. But last year, the Celtics had a better point differential, and everyone was sort of asking, geez, you know, what's going on? How come they can't win close games? Oh, I know why. It's because they don't have that guy to win close games. And I was always kind of feeling like Isaiah Thomas could be that guy. This year, they don't have a high point differential. In fact, it's in and around what a 500 sub-500 team should be. But it's Isaiah who's actually been sort of winning these games in the clutch. And, of course, to I think this team that's been together, and you've seen this now with many teams in the NBA, when, when teams are together and this Celtics team has pretty much been together for two and a half years, they just operate much, much better in pressure situations. And if you do compare those clutch numbers, and, of course, as you know, I think, what was it, like last five minutes, five five points more or less on either side. They are much better at this time last year. But I, I think that Isaiah, and I, I use sort of the Chauncey Billups on the mid-2000s Pistons, sort of as now they're different players, but Billups was that guy for Detroit when everyone thought that, oh, they didn't have a star. And Isaiah has sort of has been that way for Boston, I think, so far this year. What he can do at a basic level, which is extremely important and maybe actually underrated in today's NBA, is that he can get his points reliably and he can create for others when when he gets the extra attention. And, that, you know, there, there are various guys that are very good in the league that can't do that. It's, it's not something you can do reliably. And Thomas has a weird advantage over, let's say, a guy like DeMar DeRozan. DeRozan's having a spectacular year. I'm not criticizing him in this way. But Thomas is always at a physical disadvantage over his opponents. So when he gets, you know, let's say John Wall or somebody else like that, he's dealt with that his entire career. Whereas DeRozan, like I, I think about that playoff run where, you know, they put Paul George on him. He got Justice Winslow, various guys, and he struggled a little bit because he doesn't deal with that as much. And so Thomas knows how to get his shot. He knows how to pull it off. And that's a very good thing. And I'm excited to see how that works when they play a floor-stretching center like Horford because it should create more lanes for him and weaker help defenders because, generally speaking, most power forwards aren't really in the right place to handle a guy like Isaiah who's so crafty. They looked actually phenomenal together when they were, when they played in the preseason. I think they yep. had they, they I think there's some of their net ratings were sky high through the roof. And I talked a little earlier about third quarters, how I really like to use third quarter analysis. I think that definitely applies in the preseason because that's usually when they're both playing starters and playing usually at a much more higher effective level. But we're here with Danny Larue and just about ready to wrap with Danny Larue, one of the m- many endeavors that you do, Danny, host of the Locked On Warriors podcast. Got you here really to talk about that Warriors game that was back on Friday because you know you saw a good portion of the Celtics. You'd watch a ton of NBA basketball. You and Nate Duncan, you do your dunked on podcast every single day virtually. Last time we had you here was pretty much right after the Kevin Durant signing, maybe a week, week or two after we talked about it. Asked you just to throw out general prediction. I believe it was 67 wins, of course, the championship. That one still stand with you? Yep. I, I You know, they're... I have to give credit to the Clippers and the Cavs and even the Hawks are are playing very well this year, but covering the Warriors and watching every second they play, this is a very different team than anyone else in the league. And the reason for that is they know that the regular season is just kind of killing time. It's just filler for them. I talked about this a little bit on the Locked on Warriors after the Raptors game. And they're doing a lot of experimentation. James Michael McAdoo played on Friday night. He's not going to be a part of their playoff rotation unless a bunch of guys get hurt like last year. And so the win total might be a little less, just but at the same point, you know, I think they're I think 67 used to, I think, was at one time like an NBA record up until I think, what was it, 1968 or something? That sounds about that sounds about right. So like that might be, but the championship part of it, I feel about the same because the story with this team so far is that when they've gone to lineups that are more representative of what they're going to do in the playoffs, they've been running teams off the floor. And they've even been doing that sometimes without those without those lineups, you know, with Pachuli on the floor, with Dave West on the floor. And the core group of Curry, Thompson, Draymond, and Kevin Durant have played really well together, and having another five months until the playoffs start is only going to help that. 
You know, one thing, too, that we didn't talk about Friday's game was the negative energy that they fed off from the Boston crowd. It certainly, I, th- I, I would like to think that it got to Draymond Green when he actually went out of his way to make those comments about Celtics fans. You know, oh, God forbid they had the audacity to boo the, the opposing team. But, you know, and it got me thinking about that, too, because when I was talking to Jim Barnett before the game, I said, oh, geez, you know, hey, what's it like for the Warriors when they, when they go to all these arenas, you know, as the bad guy? And, and he's like, well, he, not really, because... Everywhere they've gone outside of Portland, of course, you know, as it turned out, the Celtics game that night, everyone in the crowd's been in, in a bit of a curry or Durant or It's like, oh, yeah, I, for, I, I forgot about bandwagon NBA fan. There's not a lot to be a bad guy team in the NBA. But they, they, they actually they did a Friday night, and you saw the, the, maybe that you'll see that more in the playoffs. It'll definitely happen more in the playoffs, and it's a dynamic that is legitimately fascinating covering this team because you have these very intense feelings no matter what. And it's especially pertinent in arenas where the Warriors only go once because it's like, hey, if you like watching this team, you get one shot at it. So you get this mix of people who have a, you know, let's say it's a Durant-related frustration because of what happened in the Hamptons this summer. Or, you know, he there was actually, he actually got booed in Canada. I don't know if that's because Raptors fans actually, there was a time that Raptors fans were confident they were going to get Durant, or whether that's just they didn't like the way that everything they, happened. They got a whatever. good crowd. I should have got, they, they have a good yeah. crowd. I have a good I crowd. Give, he got I booed in cra- Vancouver, too, in the preseason. It was the only time he really got intensely booed in the preseason was in Vancouver against the Raptors. I, it's something I'm fascinated about. And so... You have, I think what the Warriors have done, which is fun, is that they've harnessed that negative energy when it was present, and then they've harnessed the positive energy when that's present on the road. I mean, I think Curry in particular really likes the road cheers. It's something that I think he relishes a little bit, whereas Draymond likes the road booze. And you kind of have to make it all work. And the regular season, as you know, with your years following the league, the regular season's a grind, and you need things that make it interesting. And having a night where you know a guy's going to come in and be the villain makes it more fun. You don't want to have them see do with, say, like the early 2000s Lakers or the Pistons, I think. They sort of put it on cruise control. Do you have a, do you have a team that's talented? Yeah, of course. You know, you're know, you not going to be able to bring it every single night over the course of 82 games and all these this crazy travel schedule, getting in, into hotels at 4 in the morning. But I really, you know, you know, I, I say this as someone who doesn't want to root for the Warriors because I don't really root for anyone outside of anyone besides the Celtics. But I think for some, the entertainment aspect, you do, you do certainly want that emotion to be there. But Danny LaRue, uh, now where do we start here? The Athletic, Sporting News, co-host Dunked On Basketball Podcast, daily podcast, of course, as everybody knows with Nate Duncan. The athletic? Did I did I say the athletic? What else? I think you did. Okay. Re- I'll, 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 I can I can take. I got take you. Got to take uh, this. The uh, we the what's going to be the weekly Twitter NBA show? We're taking the Thanksgiving week off, but then we're going to do once a week whatever we think is the most interesting set of games, and then the daily Locked On Warriors podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Danny Larue L E R O U X. Danny, what's coming up this week on Real GM Radio? I'm going to have on Dan Wilkie to talk about the Clippers, which I think is one of the most interesting stories of the first couple weeks of the year. Fans must be desperate. Like, how do you want to guy for taking an interview? Like, that's crazy. I don't get that. Like, y'all boo somebody for the interviewing y'all? Man, they may they may scare free away. What is this psychoanalysis of fan behavior? Where did this come? That was that was Draymond Green in the locker room after the game. YouTube.com slash CLNS Radio. YouTube.com slash CLNS Radio for all the raw and uncut videos in the locker room, including this Draymond Green bit. But uh, not so much not so much Draymond. I mean, it's more. Uh, there was actual dialogue expended by the media after the game. Of, what do you think of Celtics fans? Should, should they have? Uh, I mean, who cares? Good God. Like I said, when, when did this psychoanalysis of fan behavior become a thing? Is this one of the many byproducts of 24-7 sports networks? I mean, they didn't hurl racial slurs that we know of and like they used to in Boston. They didn't charge the court and start beating up the players. They went to the game. They likely paid an arm and a leg for tickets. People deserve the leeway as is. They cheered the home team, booed the road team, the end. Simple. I mean, I actually thought the crowd was great Friday night. Came into the game, they were charged up. Well, would you rather have a lifeless arena where half the crowd is cheering for the road team and the other is either smothering their iPhones or either that or dressed as empty seats? Uh, uh, 
Um, back to basketball. Jesus. All right. Yeah. Back to the Celtics. Uh, by the way, uh, nice win last night. You know, it was only able to allude to it a few times with Danny as he wasn't able to watch it. He just finished up watching the dubs out in Milwaukee. Um, did they, uh, did they win last night? Did they? Yeah, they, uh, here we go. Yep. 124-121. Oh, geez. Kind of helps that they don't have to go to double overtime in Boston like they did uh, last year. But anyways, uh, that game, Celts, that is, uh, out in Motown, all, all, Let's start. Let's start with this. All year, actually, they are avoiding stretches of losses when you know you think that they could come. But another road victory on a back-to-back. Now three and two on the year on that. Once again, they seem to be very good at doing that. But here's where I'm very encouraged thus far this year. And I briefly touched upon it with Danny. I figured it was going to be a strength coming into the year because, like I had mentioned with Danny, this team, they've been together two, two and a half years now. Many of the key places, the key players, they're in place. And you hate using a cliche here, but historically it's proven to be the case. The players here have learned how to play with each other. They've learned how to win and even learned how to lose with each other. And now they're but they're just much more comfortable. They're executing much better in high-pressure situations. And obviously, too, like I told Danny, Isaiah Thomas is that guy that fans all really last year were really clamoring for. And going back to last year, the Celts at this time, last year I can't recall the record off the top of their head, but it was continuously just a couple games over 500. I think they even fell to 500 after they lost to Orlando. Uh, right out, I think the Monday, yeah. So I think uh, this day tomorrow, last year they fell to uh, 500. But they had point differentials that hovered in and out of, you know, plus three. I think you've got a over four at times, and that was usually good enough for second in the conference to Cleveland. A little bit different this year. Just a little, I think, it is what about a 500 team, but you going to last year, the team could never string together wins, largely because of how poor of a team they were at the time. Remember how bad December got when they were losing all these games. They had leads, and you know they butchered things down the stretch against Dallas at home. I mean, these were home games. Nets, Lakers, uh, there was a Hawks game. They had like a 10-point lead, and it should have been 20. They blew that. And forget the individual examples. I pulled this. You guessed it. Yes, stats.nba.com. In December alone last year, Boston in clutch situations. Last five minutes of game with either team, no more than five points ahead. Boston had a minus 15.9 net rating. Differential and efficiency with the opposition. Yes, a minus 15.9. That's a blowout. Uh, Effective field goal percentage under 43%. This year, ready for this? Third in the league in net rating in clutch situations. Plus 30.3. 30.3. Effective field goal percentage of 53%. Some of these wins this year, they had... They've already had four this year that last year, I'm just not sure they, they would have won those games up until maybe the second half of the year when they got better. Uh, there was a game in Washington, I believe, that sort of break their little uh, the spell there. But beginning of the season against Charlotte this year, in Charlotte on a back-to-back, we forget about that now, it's because the Hornets have played very well this year, and it was, but it was a long time ago. In Charlotte, second night of a back-to-back, making the plays down the stretch. At Indiana, also on a back-to-back. Yes, it was out Paul George, but I always say any road game in the NBA, especially on a back-to-back, good wins. Last night, the Detroit game. Oh, welcome back, Al Horford. Uh, by the way, oh, here we are some 40-some minutes into the show. I barely mentioned you. You too, Jay Crowder, but I think it's Mr. Horford who was on our minds this morning. And even actually going to Dallas on Wednesday, I mean, sure, that was a game as a fan. Listen, you know, coming out of that one, it was... <laughs> but they won ugly. Another cliche, but a good cliche. They won ugly. Remember some of those games I referenced earlier last year, particularly the Nets and Lakers, two of the three worst teams in the league, back-to-back home losses, back-to-back games. They butchered down the stretch. Who had a lot to do with that one, Mr. Isaiah Thomas? I said it to, to Danny, uh, how incredible he's been, especially recently in these fourth quarters, which everyone has been lauding over this past week. I mean, even in that putrid loss of the Pels on Monday, he Isaiah nearly won that one for them. Look at this. Isaiah's numbers in the standard clutch situations, and this is from 82games.com. And also, I actually believe this does not include last night's game against Detroit. I'm pretty sure of that. They don't, they don't update that quickly, so it's kind of like living down the Cape in the mid-90s and not having the Red Sox score from the night before in the newspaper. But going into last night in clutch situations, 82games.com, Isaiah with an effective field goal percentage of 50%, 119.6 offensive rating as a team. And here's the one that is going to make you giggle profusely. His clutch scoring, if it was done over the course of 48 minutes, 
he'd be averaging 62 points per game. 62? Uh, I referenced this briefly with Mr. LaRue, and and remember when last year, especially around this time when the Celts were losing all those close games, the simple reaction was, oh, they need to start to win these games with them. And of course they do, but not more for this reason alone. As we see now, it was just more of a case of, you know, a young and an experienced team together. It's not because they didn't have Mr. Isolation. It was funny. We always heard of, they need another Paul Pierce. They need a go-to guy when things break down or when the defenses tighten up. And it's kind of very quickly either dismissing or outright forgetting all the pitiful isolation sets they ran for Pierce that for every fallaway buzzer beater in the playoffs against Miami, there were like 10 possessions that were him taking the clock down to three seconds before he made a move. And then it just wound up in either an air ball or not even getting a shot off. I remember those very well. And we do forget about those though, huh? And forget about some of the wretched offensive fourth quarters the team would play under Doc post-2010, 2009, when they were really struggling in clutch situations. Remember that Phil Jackson huddle about how bad the Celtics were in, in, in those situations in the finals against the Lakers. But back back to back to 2016, November 2016, let's not go too far down my lane. And I, I said it with Danny. Isaiah can be that Mr. Big Shot. Uh, Chauncey Billups, and I think that's even a little unfair to Isaiah, too, as he's just a much more dynamic offensive player than Chauncey was, who was no slouch in his own right. But I'm just sort of looking for any kind of com- comparison here, I-, I guess. But but basically, Boston's fourth quarter execution from Thomas's emergence into stardom, even borderline superstardom, and to the team just growing together over these last two and a half years now. Right now, the Celtics have really... A distinct advantage, I, I would say, over roughly, I would say over a good 75-80% of their opponents they, when they face in pressure situations. And it's helped them get three good to even great road wins, which I would put last night in Detroit, previously undefeated at home. I'd put that into the great category. Um, so Boston doesn't need that superstar to become a more productive team in 10 situations. In fact, I mean, hypothetical, they traded for Paul George tomorrow. I would likely even take time and trial and error to get acclimated as a unit. Uh, they need it for the simple reason alone to just upgrading their talent and likewise mitigating many of their good to not, you know, good to not great and flawed players uh, into roles where their flaws aren't being highlighted on a night in night out basis. Um, is that good enough to, to win a hypothetical or what they have right now? I mean, it's, is it good enough to win a hypothetical game seven on the road and, you know, three minutes to go in a tie game against Cleveland? No, but that's because they just aren't good enough to get there. Uh, I tell you, talking about the massive year-to-year improvement the Celts have made in crunch time execution, and, and you can look at it two ways. One, where would they be without it? I mean, because remember last year, the Celts had more blowout victories at this time because they were good enough to get the blowout victories. This year, there are just more visible flaws. The rebounding on the bench, of course, it just jumps right out at you. I mean, it did, it did so last night against Detroit. They a little more even on the glass with the return of Horford. But Keith Smith did a nice job discussing this in his recap this morning on Selleck's blog, point, pointing out how Boston's ball movement, it's still there, with, which is a real credit to the overall coaching on the team. But with the second unit, it just they don't have players that can put the ball in the basket. And that... It could help with will help with Horford's return a little bit, but Danny, you know, pointed out the replacement and allotment of minutes alone, and, and Horford returning, you know, in the handful of games and minutes he's played with the starters. That first unit has been utterly dominant, even going back to the preseason. Which, yes, I'm going to count, especially when matched up against opposing team starters, and i.e. the fourth quarter against Charlotte, October 16th. I think the date was, but it continued into the regular season. The Nets opener, Charlotte, uh, the, was it? Third game of the year, fourth game of the year, I think something like that. But Nets opener, the Charlotte game that first weekend last night, the team's net production with Horford on and off the court is staggering. Plus thirteen point six. So the starters are likely going to be so good together at full strength that there are going to be some nights where Boston should win games like basically three quarters in, but will it be good enough to compensate for struggles on the glass in the second unit? Will they be good enough to aid in continued year-to-year franchise progression? Most importantly, is it, is it, will it be good enough to appease my personal expectations? We'll see. You're listening to CLNS Radio, home to the original Celtics podcast, Celtics Stuff Live.
Can someone please tell me how LeBron James can get away with committing fouls on the court, fouling out of what, like five games in his entire basketball life, and now off the court as well? I mean, this is a serious question, but does LeBron James shit ice cream? God forbid someone say something derogatory about him or the people around him who work by the second to constantly portray that phony role model image of LeBron so he can continue to sell his soft drinks, junk food, whatever, worthless clap. Uh, but someone says something, and I wouldn't even say all that derogatory about him. And if Phil Jackson, 11-time NBA champion, can't say something without then getting a flagrant foul committed against him, then I, I guess no one can. Uh, shame on the media who just roll over and allow LeBron and his team just run roughshod all over them. I mean, what is this? I mean, if, if Rich Paul or Mav Carter or any one of LeBron's henchmen leaked a story to one of these hacks, I mean, how far can they go? It's, uh, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, that was a low blow. Uh, below the belt, cheap shot, smear job. I mean, no LeBron. Posse is not a racially charged term, and you know that to be true. I did take the time to look that up in the dictionary. I did Google it. Oh, I kind of wish I didn't do that. I mean, I had insane clown posse clips and images nearly crashed my computer. Uh, but how does no one call LeBron out on that? Or, and worse, how is it then spun to where there's actually oxygen being used on acknowledging what LeBron, I mean, like legitimizing his, his remarks? It's, it's mesmerizing. Uh, I don't know. Some things just do not make sense. I, I, uh, I tell you, there's something you can tweet at me. Tell me why I'm a Grinch. You know, LeBron's great. One of the best ever. He's an even better person. <sighs> yeah, I, I do got Bach playing in reference to Keith Oldman's worst people ever. So I'll stop. Just a deep breath. I gotta take a deep breath. That's that's all I got. I can't I can't meditate here. So that'd be awfully boring. But. Release all negative feelings. <sighs> I think I'm going to need a yoga session after that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm almost there, I guess, because uh, we are running up on time. So I guess I should pass along a few brief notes here to score some points with the network. Uh, may as well start with me. I mean, I'll be, I'll be back about the course of the week uh, on the Celtics News Feed channel. No, I promise no diatribes. Uh, but seriously... Celtics News Feed, Daily News and Notes, Game Recast, Breaking News, and Quick Analysis all provided in real time. Subscribe to the Celtics News Feed podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. I will be hosting the Celtics pregame report this week. Three games on tap. First off, Monday in Minnesota. Tomorrow's guest, Jerry Zagoda of the Minneapolis Star Tribune. We break down the Celtics trip to the Twin Cities. So that's tomorrow on Celtics News Feed. Go along with Mike Walsh's news and notes on the News Feed channel, iTunes and Stitcher. And of course, after the Wolves game tomorrow and after every game this week, Minnesota Monday, Brooklyn on Wednesday, back home Friday against the Spurs. Celtics postgame show live immediately following each and every game and on demand on the CLNS radio mobile app as well as, of course, iTunes and Stitcher. Listen live on demand and, of course, call in toll-free 347-215-7771. 347-215-7771. And that's all without mentioning Celtic stuff live, of course. Available tomorrow at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Justin Poulin, who you just heard a few minutes ago there. You know, when the Celts have a game on Monday, CLNS Radio, as I like to say, covers every square inch of the Celts. Your fix is there. AV content all day. Yeah, all day, all night, right? John and Justin at 9 a.m., News and notes around on around noon on the news feed. You get the pregame show on the news feed channel at 3. Post game after the game, so call that 10.30. It's round the clock. Uh, for, for the leading online provider of audio video coverage of the Boston Celtics, I mean, of course, said providing is all provided by you, the listener. Uh, you know, we're coming up on Thanksgiving. This is the last show before Thanksgiving, by the way, so early happy Thanksgiving to everybody. And I know we continually thank the audience week after week. And it may become stale, but as CLNS continues to grow and as Celtics coverage continues to expand both in spoken and visual formats, i.e. the guard report after home games, we yet to mention, uh, it cannot be done without continued support from the audience. So, yes, that is why we are so grateful and I am so grateful week after week and so happy to be doing this. I have to say one thing, especially to our to our Boston and New England listeners. Remember way back yonder when there was a time when finding not just quality Celtics coverage on the radio or television, but any Celtics coverage, it just did not exist. It was all, you know, who's betting six for the Red Sox in mid-January? I mean, remember that? Uh, don't think that has not been a driving force to what we've been doing here at CLNS the last six to seven years here with our Celtics coverage and, and with coverage uh, of the rest of the New England professional sports. Quick shout-out, Patriots post game today, live on CLNSradio.com, on demand on the app after the game. We, you know, but we are fans, too. 
We understand how much there's a demand for this coverage. We try to work hard hand in hand with our audience, not just uh, lie or you know look at these data and, and, fa- and focus groups. We want you engaged, and we will be engaged with you person to person, real fight. And continue to offer your support or you know things you like to see. Critiques. We take critiques. We understand them. It's fair. This is how we get better. But these are not simply empty words. You know, I, I am the last person to do that. I like to think of myself as a straight shooter if I ever was one. Certainly a few minutes ago. But of all people, really speak their mind. Um, but CLNS is honored in having the ability and, and most importantly, your support, too. So, yes, keep listening if, if you deem us worthy of your time, which... I hope today was episode number 184, which I will wrap on that. That is going to do it here on Celtic Speed. However, certainly not on CLNS, as I just said. But music for this show was provided by Will Rock, DJ The S, Chuck Deeds, Bach, and Steph Legratto. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is at Celtics underscore Beat. I am at CLNS underscore LHR. And you can like Celtic Speed on Facebook to keep up with the show at Facebook.com slash Celtic Speed. Thanks to today's guest, Damian LaRue of Real GM, as well as our sponsors, Indochino mentioned Celtics at 85 Newberry Street for 50% off your first suit. Movement Watches, mbmtwatches.com slash Celtics Street for 15% off your first watch with free shipping and free returns. Audible, audible.com slash try now for a free audiobook along with a 30-day trial period. And of course, Blue Apron, blueapron.com slash Celtics Beat, three free meals, free shipping on us. Big thanks to our audience for making the show the number one podcast. On the web, dedicated to the NBA's winningest franchise. One more time, subscribe, rate, and review. Celtics Beat on iTunes for free entry to win two tickets to see the Celtics take on the Pistons on November 30th in Boston. For staff writer Eddie Santiago, program director Justin Poulin, founder of the network Nick Gelso, and myself, the executive producer and host, I'm Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Radio.